preaching from this pulpit tonight, obviously. I'm your preacher tonight. And I believe that God has given me a word for this evening. So I'm going to read a quick word from Solomon in Proverbs 14, verse 12. And he says, There is a way which seemeth right unto a man, but the end thereof are the ways of death. I want to thank you for being here on a Wednesday night. I know that Wednesdays can sometimes seem like it's hard to get from work to church, but you make a sacrifice to be here in the house of the Lord. I believe that you will be blessed for that each and every time you make that effort. So I want to ask tonight, who here, as a show of hands, has ever had a plan? Has anyone ever had a plan in their life? Yeah? Did you plan, work out precisely to what you thought it would be? Did you ever consider quitting in the middle of your plan and going in an utterly different direction during that plan? And how often did you have to rethink your plan and adapt to new circumstances? For me, I can say a lot. Tonight, I'm going to preach on Joseph named him Jesus. If you will pray with me for a moment, I want to just pray over this service, pray over the word that God has given me that I might be able to deliver it. And so if you would pray with me now. Jesus, Lord, we come here tonight with expectation on our hearts, Lord. Lord, you have given me a word, Lord, and it is in the best favor, Lord, that I I would get out of the way and that I might let your word go forward and that it might be powerful to the words that you have spoken over this congregation this evening, Lord. And I pray, Jesus, that each man, woman, and child that would be listening either here or online at a later date, that their eyes, that their ears might be open to this word and that they might be accepting of this word and that it might adhere to their hearts, Lord. I pray, Jesus, with great expectation this evening, knowing that you are the almighty, amazing God that we can put all our trust and hope into, and that no matter the situation where you are, there is victory, and we pray in your holy name tonight, in Jesus' name, amen. So my opening text is actually comes from Matthew chapter 1, verse 18, and it says, this is how Jesus the Messiah was born. His mother Mary was engaged to be married to Joseph. But before the marriage took place, while she was still a virgin, she became pregnant through the power of the Holy Spirit. The story of the Messiah, we all know this story pretty well, I think. It's been told several times throughout our years of life. We can hear it on, during Christmas time. We oftentimes can hear it uh, watching different Christmas movies, uh, whatever it be, but I guarantee most of us have heard it. And so tonight, the events surrounding Jesus' birth are genuinely astonishing. And we listen to them so often that we can sometimes take this for granted. We can acknowledge it and still we don't understand it or even accept it as simply being a miraculous thing. Yet, it is genuinely significant to know that our God was born of a virgin. The same God who breathed the dust to life and formed man in his image, he did his miraculous work by creating through Mary a virgin, a child in her womb. And Jesus' inception is somewhat crazy when you stop and think about the logistics of how it actually took place. 
It kind of reminds me of the old adage about the chicken and the egg. But before we get too in-depth thinking about the process and thinking about how this all went, we need to stop and just take a moment and realize we are talking about God. Our God is not a separate being of a triune God. Our God is not the Trinity Godhead, but it is God. He is God alone. And Jesus is the fulfillness, fullness of the Godhead embodied. And truly unfathomable to us, how can we understand these types of things? We understand these things through divine revelation. You see, in verse 19, Joseph, to whom she was engaged, was a righteous man. He did not want to disgrace her publicly, so he decided to break the engagement quietly. Now, Joseph, he did not want to publicly disgrace Mary who was to become his wife. Joseph might have had some inclination to who this baby was and the miracle happening before him. For Joseph, the marriage had been sullied. It seemed like a great disaster had happened to him over this miracle. And the story of Joseph might be more relatable to some of us than maybe Jonah and the whale. I mean, who's ever been swallowed up in a fish? Or Jonah... Or Samson and his strength. Who's the strongest Samson? Is anybody here as strong as Samson? Okay, now. Some people might be, right? Maybe you just lost your hair and it just stopped. I don't know what happened. but Or who here was born to be a king? Like David. You see, Joseph was simply a man who put the welfare of others before his own. He was a man who had a belief in doing what was right above what was seemingly moral. You see, morality is defined as the personal interpretation of what is right. Where righteousness, or maybe by the world's perspective, is called ethics, are defined by a social construct. But for us, it is not a social construct that defines our ethics or what is right, but it is this book. It is the Word of God, because this book right here, this Word that we have been given, is all that we need to understand what is right. We can follow this Word, and we can live out throughout the promises of this Word, and it is all that we need. It is what keeps us right. If I live my life according to this, then there is no reproach. I will not be led astray. You see, morality might have led Joseph down a path of justice and vengeance. But what was right went far beyond what was moral. It was Jesus who said, I don't come to abolish the law. I came to be the fulfillment of the law. He said, I came to write this law in your heart. I came to write this law in the hearts of men and women. For those listening to a sermon in the year 2022 on a Wednesday night in September, this same Jesus was raised and cared for by a righteous man. We didn't always get to understand what is happening in the process of it happening. I do not get the privilege of knowing the outcomes and the end game at the miracles in front of me. We recently watched a mighty miracle take place in our local church. Sister Teresa was healed of what was considered an unhealable cancer. Now the miracle is not finished in her body. She is going to be restored. 
there are still some things that God is going to touch. God has not received the full glory that he deserves. Sister Teresa had cancer in her body that had been miraculously healed. Healing like this is a testimony of our God's great and fantastic power. There are certain types of cancers that when you get diagnosed with them, it's just, it's final. We, we automatically settle it in our spirits that there's just no other way. And the treatments don't come. We just get told you have a few months to live or you have a few weeks and we try to be comfortable as we can to the end. But we know a God. We know a God who can heal what the doctors say is unhealable. We know, a doctor, we know a God that can take the doctor's verdict and can turn it around and make impossible seem possible. That's the God that we serve. He's exceedingly and abundantly can do those things which seem impossible. I want to just praise God for the miracle and to say all for his glory. You see, the miracle is for God to draw his people in. To draw the people that don't know him in. That's the real miracle. That's the real saving grace. See, we should continue to be in prayer for Sister Teresa. And anyone who receives a miracle. Because you know what's going to happen. The enemy is going to come in. He's going to attack them. He's going to try to put doubt in their mind. He's going to try to do everything he can to say it didn't happen like that. And the enemy will use every underhanded trick in his book to take the glory away from our God. So we must be wise to this and continue to give God glory and pray for us and receiver of such a miraculous thing. So I just say to Sister Teresa, if you're watching online or if you're listening, you keep on sharing that good news, sister. You keep proclaiming that God has done a work in your life. You don't stop. Keep... Keep sharing your testimony. I know when God healed my son, it took several months for his kidneys to return to an average size. And the time it took for complete restoration was not God is slow, but it was God reminding us through the process that he would be with us and he would never forsake us. You see, miracles like these are meant to be a catalyst for more. Before we move on, let's just... For a moment, let's just give God glory. Let's just praise him for what he's doing here at Refuge Church and what he's going to continue to do. I believe there are signs, wonders, and miracles that he is getting ready to establish in this church. He's getting ready to pour out his spirit on this church and on this end time. I believe it. Lord, you are worthy, Jesus. You are worthy of all the glory and all the praise. We glorify your name, Lord. You are above all. We thank you, Jesus. We praise you, Lord. Yes, Lord, we thank you. Jesus' name. You see, Joseph did not get to understand what was happening. I don't have scripture for how Joseph felt during this time. I can speculate. I can say there might have been a sense of betrayal, shame, and even embarrassment for Joseph. And just like that, though, God can come out of nowhere and he can take your doubts and your fears and all those things you have that are secluded in your heart and that you've been able to start processing and he can turn it around. 
In verse 20, he says, as he considereth this, that's Joseph considering what was going on, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream and said, Joseph, son of David, the angel said, do not be afraid to take Mary as your wife, for the child within her was conceived by the Holy Spirit. You see, once again, not a triune God, but a way to explain that God is a spirit and that his spirit performed the miracle. You see, just imagine Joseph's perspective of this whole thing. Your soon-to-be wife is pregnant, and you had nothing to do with it. You might be in a state of denial. You might feel like you were betrayed. Then there it was. An angel appeared to you, and everything changes. Wouldn't it be nice if that happened to us sometimes? Imagine that doubt creeps into your life and suddenly an angel appears to you and says, take the job, marry this person, move to this town, plant that church in that city. It would be nice, wouldn't it? But you know, it still happens and God speaks to us. Just how often are we listening? The angel's first words to Joseph are a reminder of who he is and where he comes from. Joseph, son of David. You know, that might be the first step to genuinely understanding or reviewing the word God has given to us. You see, the first step might simply be to remember who we are. What name do you carry? Who called us out of sin and gave everything for us? And here is Joseph. That miracle you thought could be happening in your life? Here it is. The child that Mary carries was conceived by God Almighty. All those promises God gave your people, Joseph, here it is. You have to understand that Joseph knew something. Joseph knew that what God touches and creates with intentionality has great significance and importance. What a powerful dream Joseph had. The angel goes on to say to Joseph, and she will have a son, and you are to name him Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. Joseph, you have to get this. You have to understand, Joseph, the baby that isn't your future wife is the very thing that will set you free. That baby boy will set the world free. Oh, and by the way, you're about to embark on a journey like never before. A trip that will never be again. It sounds like a a real test to me. An adventure Joseph was about to experience in the hardest of ways. Here's the truth about living for God. It is the most harrowing adventure you are ever going to embark on. If you wonder whether that is true, if you're sitting here and you say, well, I don't know, it's, it doesn't seem that bad all the time, it doesn't seem like there's really any tests that take place, I think going with God is just the easiest thing I ever did. If that's you, I would say ask one of the people who are here who have been doing this for a while and see what their response is to that. You see, we should be taking the advice of those that have lived this way and have remained faithful. Those that endure have a great promise from God. That's all of us. If we are to endure, we have a promise from God that is found in Matthew chapter 24. He says, but he shall endure unto the end. The same shall be saved. 
you endure to the end, and you shall see salvation. You see, it is hard living for God for any duration of time. There's no shortcuts for, with God. There's no easy outs with God. The roads are long, packed full of heavy moments. And this is true for every last one of us. But the payoffs are impressive. It can be like being a parent sometimes. You know, because as parents, how often do you feel like you do everything right? Like, you're just really adequate at doing the job of being a parent. How often we feel like we are making all the right decisions as parents? You see, Joseph had to feel the, we- the world's weight on his shoulders. I mean, it says in verse 22 that all this occurred to fulfill the Lord's message through his prophet. Look, the virgin will conceive a child. She will give birth to a son, and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God is with us. So when Joseph woke up, he did as the angel of the Lord commanded and took Mary as his wife. But he did not have sexual relations with her until her son was born, and Joseph named him Jesus. The truth is that Joseph had much a different experience than Mary did. How many men can say they had a different experience while their wife was pregnant than, the, than their wife did? Some of the things that Joseph did not have to deal with include things like carrying Jesus and his body. Joseph did not have to watch as his body was changed and his body was not scarred of carrying the baby. Joseph was not the father nor the mother of his child. Yet Joseph stood up in an impossible situation and did what was righteous even when doing what was righteous was humbling at times, hard at times, and stressful at times. You see, he was watching Mary, his wife, give birth to a child he had nothing to do with. And we see the famous traditional story that Mary had a child, and that child was the light of the world. What we do not see, what we do not hear about is the moments of struggle, the moments that Joseph struggled to understand, the moments that Joseph felt like he was a failure of a father. We don't see the stress on their young relationship because anybody that's ever been married, had kids early on, knows that puts stress on your marriage. But you don't always see eye eye to eye on things when you first get married. Well, I I mean, maybe just me, I don't know. But but making it even harder when there is a baby early on, right, in the marriage. So imagine Mary and Joseph struggling to find shelter and understand this miracle early on. This story is human. You and I exalt the greatness of Jesus, and we should always do that. Yet the earthly father of Jesus was a man. A man that was flawed and a man that had doubts like all of us. Yet when the time came for Joseph to make a decision, he named that baby boy Jesus. He could have walked out. He could have said, I'm not going to do this. But no, he listened to the voice of God in his life, and he did what God had told him to do. He named that baby boy Jesus. I pose this question to you. How often do you get what you want? How many of us, with a show of hands, have ever gotten something that they wanted? Has anybody ever gotten something that they wanted? Group participation, all right, there we go. 
Maybe it was for your birthday. Maybe it was for an anniversary. Perhaps it was an answered prayer. So if anybody didn't raise their hand, I hope that someday you get something you want. <laughs> but if not, and you were, you were here and you said, well, I, I, you know, I've never gotten anything I want. Well, you know, the truth is sometimes we just don't get what we want. How many of us have ever experienced that? A time maybe when you didn't get what you wanted. I have to admit, I, ha- I have one of those moments. So bear with me as I tell this story. It was Christmas morning. And I went into the living room of my childhood home. There was a ton of presents under the tree. My parents tended to go overboard and would have us fill out a list we wanted from the old Sears Christmas catalog. Telling my age there a little bit. And my brother and I would review the catalog and write down everything we wanted. Toys were a lot cheaper back then too, by the way. Uh, Does anybody remember that old Sears catalog? Yeah. I don't know. It was thick. It was filled with a ton of items, especially around Christmas time. And honestly, I don't even know if they make it anymore, but So I went into the living room where our tree was, and we did the old traditional thing, opening one gift at a time. And that year, I remember, I had my heart set on the Millennium Falcon. It was like the coolest toy I'd ever seen in my entire life. And I just wanted it. And I thought it was, I just thought it was the most incredible thing. And so I watched as present after present was being opened, and I kept thinking, maybe it's in the next box. Maybe it's in the next box. Until all the gifts had been opened and there were no other boxes under the tree. (laughs) As a child, I began to break down crying. (laughs) Loud, sobbing noises. I was heartbroken over not getting what I had always wanted and had asked for that year. But my dad said, wait, there's one more to open. And wouldn't you know it, it was the Millennium Falcon. See, I just needed to wait a little longer to get it and not lose hope that year. Now, that's a silly story, but one that was real from my younger self. I have learned, though, as an adult, things will fade. We're not promised tomorrow. One day I will leave this place and no longer have this physical body. My job, I'm replaceable. My friends, I'm replaceable. This church, I'm replaceable. All the other junk in my life, like the military, the honors given by men, the diplomas and the awards from work will fade. The house I live in, the vehicles I drive will fade away. They will eventually become forgotten relics of a younger time in my life. But there is one place in my life where I am not replaceable, and that is my family. And that is the same place where you are not replaceable. What I teach my children about God, life, and all the in-between things that they're going to listen to, especially as teenagers when I'm lucky, (laughs) are the most excellent information exchanges I can take advantage of. And there is a truth in life that we will not always get what we want. There's a band. Does anybody... Now, this is secular, so I apologize to anybody that's looking down on me for this, but has anyone ever heard of the Rolling Stones? Okay, they wrote a song entitled, You Can't Always Get What You Want. And 
the course is stated like this. You can't always get what you want, but if you try sometimes, well, you might find you get what you need. You see, there's a distinct difference between what you want and what you need. The Bible says that Joseph was a righteous man. And the scripture declares that he is honest and obedient to the law. And we can deduce that Joseph is, in fact, a man who can be called goodly and upright. We can also see that Joseph was a gentleman. I mean, because really, he could have publicly disgraced Mary at this moment. Joseph could have had Mary drugged to the front of the city and stoned to death. But that's not what Joseph did. Instead, Joseph chose to show Mary mercy and grace. And I guarantee Joseph did not expect his future wife to be pregnant before their wedding. Joseph would have had a a lot of reasons to believe that she had slept with another man and became pregnant. And this was not what Joseph wanted, not what he expected. Joseph had a clarifying dream and an idea of what he needed to do. And could you imagine that your spouse became pregnant and you had absolutely nothing to do with it and then a dream comes to you and all of a sudden you are the fulfillment of the prophecy of God. Your actions are going to fulfill prophecy or they are not. And you have an actual decision to make at that moment. We might not think we are like Joseph in this way, but I would argue that we are the same. Our lives are surrounded by circumstances that we do not fully understand. We experience the joy of seeing our children born and they are taken away from us too early. We are married to the person we plan to spend the rest of our lives with. Then we experience the turbulence of marriage and it ends in separation and divorce. We receive a promise from God and we think that the promise that God has given us will make us feel complete and fulfill the great desires of our heart. Then the promises never seem to come. And the waiting turns into a great deal longer than we first expected. And there are families without children who could never have children. Some families do everything they can to adopt and cannot seem to ever have the powers that be aligned for them to adopt a child. Some loved ones pass too soon due to bad health or unforeseen circumstances in life. These things do not make sense to us. I can't explain why God takes a baby from this world who has yet to develop the eyesight, the hearing that is necessary to see and hear their parents. I don't get this type of tragedy. And truly, as a preacher, I want to give the good news and I want to set the captives free from the sins of this life. But I am looking at a glass darkly. I do not see the other side of the story. And honestly, Joseph didn't get it either. But instead of the tragedy in his life, responding with shame and guilt and revenge, Joseph chose to name that baby boy that was not his Jesus. You see, there are things in your life that need to be named. And most of us cannot bear to look at them. Why? Why can't we look at them? Because of the great deal of pain that it has caused you. You are doing all that you can to stand in the face of life's great adversities. But there is a power and a peace that only comes from giving this thing that is in your life a name. 
Joseph could have walked away from Mary. He could have publicly disgraced her. He could have done many things that were the wrong way that would have seemed like the right thing to have done. But instead, Joseph showed mercy on Mary. He showed that some things would be challenging in our lives that won't make any sense to our flesh. But we need to make sure that no matter the time or the place, the right thing is not a choice, but it is the only choice. That is because the right thing is rarely going to be the easy thing. We have to forgive each other. We have to forgive those that trespass against us, those that have hurt us, shamed us, caused guilt on us. We have to accept when we have to grieve. For some of us, we even have to breathe in the sadness that comes from the unexpected and unwanted amount of fear and anxiety. Bundle it all up. And hand it over to Jesus. You see, this does not make it easier for us, but it makes it suitable. The pain and the suffering are accurate. The tragedies are real. And the unwanted and unfaithful spouses are also real. The choices that someone has made are accurate. Nothing takes away the truth that the experience you had were happening. Whether they were perceived or whether they were tangible things, they still happened. Other people hurt us. Sometimes we hurt other people, and sometimes it even seems like God hurts us. And the tragedy is that we allow the hurts to cut us off from the great healer and the peace that passes all understanding. Philippians 4 says, And the peace of God which passeth all understanding shall keep your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. See, our relationship with God cannot go to the next place or a deeper understanding of who he is in our lives until we have accepted the pain and given it over to God. Some of us are in deep desperation to go deeper with God, to have a deeper relationship with God, to have that healing experience. We want God to be our father. We want God to be our friend. We want to be under his provision and we want to be under his love and receive his grace. But are we willing to surrender our own will? Are we ready to submit to him completely? You see, we're going to do the best. I pray we're all going to do the best that we can to offer the sacrifice that's going to cost me something. Why? Because without cost, it loses all the most genuine of meaning. Without cost, it might as well be cheap and have no value. And we are good with getting what is easy and what is without too much cost. But what about those things that cost us something? You see, the interesting point is that to experience the peace that passes understanding. So get this, to to experience the peace that passes understanding, it requires me to surrender the, the the desire to understand the why. I don't have the luxury of understanding. I must surrender to the claim and give up insight. It's the only way I can truly heal. That is the hardest thing to let go of sometimes, though. We want to know why. I can't imagine how hard it is to give up that kind of control. The what-ifs is always the most challenging part of experience the pain of life. Has anybody ever experienced the what-ifs, gone through the what-ifs? You understand what the what-ifs are. And honestly, it's not a healthy place to be caught in the playing the what-ifs. 
You see, you might have heard that the rearview mirror is much smaller than the windshield in front of you. When we play the what-ifs game, we get caught looking in the mirror and losing sight of the window in front of us. And we can all imagine what would happen if, if I drove around the city of Liberty looking in the, into the mirror and not paying attention to the windshield. And some of you might think I'm not the greatest driver to begin with. <laughs> and don't worry, my wife's included in that group. But what's going to happen if I keep looking in that rearview mirror and not looking through the windshield? I'm going to crash. You know, it's the same for our lives. It doesn't make sense to focus on what could have been when there is a great deal of what can be in front of you. I'm not belittling the things that you've gone through. I can't imagine the loss that some of you have endured in your life. I can't imagine the guilt that some of us still carry to this day. And maybe some of it is accurate, and you can feel like there's this giant boulder in front of you. I can, maybe sometimes it's like there's a great weight upon your chest. And I feel like Joseph might have felt the same way at times. I mean, imagine that you marry a woman that carries the child of God, the Messiah that all the Old Testament prophets have prophesied about. This is the man that is burdened with raising of a boy named Jesus. I can't imagine what the upbringing of God would have entailed. But we see tiny glimpses of it right away in Matthew 2, 13. And it says, After the wise men were gone, an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream. Get up, flee to Egypt with the child and his mother. And the angel said, Stay there until I tell you to return, because Herod is going to search for the child to kill him. Here is Joseph, not many days into this whole fatherhood thing. And the angel of the Lord is already coming back to him in another dream. This time, the angel is warning Joseph to get up. Now, this is not just, hey, you should probably get up now. Hey, Joseph, wake up. There's something coming. No, it's get up and flee, Joseph. Run. So, wow, how, I mean, that's a powerful, powerful thing if you think about it. And And I have a question. Has anybody ever heard the psalm? Mary, did you know? It's, wrote, it's written by Mark Lowry. I'm, you're probably already singing it in your head. It's a catchy song, beautiful song. I just say, what about Joseph, did you know? Men have an instinctual desire to protect. And right out of the gate of the marriage, the birth of Jesus, this father had to go into instinctual mode of protector. It was a big ask and an even bigger trust to do what he was asked to do. But Joseph was a righteous man and a just man. And it says, that night Joseph left for Egypt with the child and Mary's mother. It said they stayed there until Herod's death. And this fulfilled what the Lord had spoken through the prophet. I called my son out of Egypt. And Herod was furious when he realized that the wise men had outwitted him. He sent soldiers to kill all the boys in and around Bethlehem were two years old and under, based on the wise men's report of the star's first appearance. Herod's brutal action fulfilled what God had spoken through the prophet Jeremiah. A cry was heard in Ramah, weeping in great mourning, Rachel weeps for her children, refusing to be comforted, for they are dead. The tragedy is overwhelmingly, overwhelming at times that surrounded Jesus' birth. 
It was horrible in the eyes of many. Many had lost their loved ones due to the significance of who Jesus was. And this is hard to imagine children being killed to get to one child. We want to understand why things happen the way they happen. All the while, God is telling us not to find ourselves in fear and that we should be of good courage. Deuteronomy 31 says, In the strong and of good courage, fear not, nor be afraid of them. For the Lord thy God, he it is that doth go with thee. He will not fail thee, nor will he forsake thee. You see, Jesus was born when the land of Israel was under occupation and unjust subject some subjection to the empire of Rome, a civilization that required the taxes to be high and the bowing down to the authority of Rome was demanded of all its citizens. A king that ruled in Israel was bent on destroying any opposition to his authority on the earthly throne he occupied. And this was the world that Jesus was born into. Many died due to Jesus' birth, not by any fault of Jesus, but by man's desire to control the world they live in. And this is the entrance to the great I am becoming flesh of, of his, becoming flesh. And we are unworthy of, of his sacrifice. We suffer a great deal. And to be honest, we will suffer more as the day approaches the final return of Jesus. The message is not pretty and it looks bleak for those left in the wake of what is to come. Here is the blunt and honest truth. To every one of us, the days of conservative thoughts prevailing, this idea that we will see a land dedicated to God is gone. What will happen is there will be a church, a remnant of believers who stand tall in the face of opposition to the way of thinking by our God and the truth that was left for us. Even amid the great strife and great turmoil, we must stand tall. We must endure to the very bitter end. Except that everything that will happen is with great joy and count the words of Paul. He said, to me, to live is Christ and to die is gain. You have to believe that. If I'm going to live that verse out in my life, if I'm going to live a life that is for Jesus, then I will have to be willing to withstand the idea that death is final. And if I was to die, there is a promise. I am going to win. I am going to find victory. I am going to find on the other side a Savior who will say, Well done, thou good and faithful servant. I look forward to that day when I can hear my master say that I have done what is good and faithful. Paul was saying the life you and I have is not our own. Paul was looking at death as a blessing to come and not the horrible thing that happens to us. But while Paul lived, he would live it serving in every way possible for Christ. And this is the great tragedy that I am a pilgrim in a strange land. I woke up here not knowing where my home was and forgetting where I once belonged. My journey is to return to that place. Along the way, my goal is to do all I can to remind people that there is a place they are from that they do not remember. Because each of these people has a great hunger inside of who they are. Their hunger has tried to pull them back to a relationship with the one who created the kingdom in the first place. 
And we get all caught up in this idea that life is supposed to be fair. We, do, we all do this from time to time. And some of us might get trapped in thinking that there is something that we can someday obtain. You know, the pot of gold at the end of the rainbow or that winning lottery ticket if I just purchased it and won it. That kind of trap can get us to think that if we were to receive that great thing, then that would satisfy our insatiable hunger. And you know, Herod suffered from this thirst for power so severely that he did all he could to wipe it out of existence when something threatened it. He did not realize that the very thing he tried to so hard to eliminate was the one valid prize. Jesus was not Herod's successor. He was his savior. This is not like your tragedy or my tragedy, but tragedy looks vastly different to all men and all women. For men like Herod, tragedy saw his worth, power, and legacy reduced to ash and dust. Instead, Herod was in genuine danger of gaining eternal damnation. Joseph, the man who chose to be the father and the man of the household, was obedient to God. And he did as the angel had spoken to him, and he fled to Egypt. And as the story of Jesus continues, Joseph, the man who gave the name to his adopted child named Jesus, remained obedient to the voice of God who came by the messenger angels. Joseph had been told to return to Israel. That man who had sought to kill Jesus was dead. But that king had a son, and that son could pose the same threat. So Joseph chose not to go back to Galilee, but instead to Nazareth. This was another prophetic fulfillment of the Messiah. Jesus was cared for by a father who desired to do the right thing, even when the right thing was hard for him personally or hard for their family. Men willing to put their families before themselves are the thing that this society we live in needs. No matter the task, difficulty before them, a man is willing to take the necessary actions and make the difficult decisions. This society needs good Christian men to rise up and to take the reins of what God is calling them to do. Not to be an aggressor or hostile towards those that oppose their views, but that they might conquer those views with love, kindness, grace, and mercy. And those are the tools in which we will fight the enemies that stand at the doorstep of our freedoms. We will see the great revival before the coming of Christ with great humility and self-sacrifice. A genuine desire to see others elevated, to see others possess the promise, to see God use others. This will be required and it will take steadfast faith and belief in the only truth, which is the word of God. Thus must be who we are in the faith, in the face of what is coming. Musicians, I'm closing. You can come. In closing, I'm bringing you the words of our Savior who sat at a mountaintop teaching his disciples a powerful lesson that we must all understand if we are to accept the tragedies of this life and the calling that has been placed on us in this end time. In Matthew 5, verse 3, he said, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are they that mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are they that are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are they which do hunger and thirst after righteousness, for they shall be filled. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall obtain mercy. 
Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called the children of God. Blessed are they which are presented for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are ye when men shall rival you and persecute you and shall say all manner of evil against you falsely for my sake. Rejoice and be exceedingly glad, for great is your reward in heaven. For so persecuted they the prophets which were born before you. Tragedies in this life are the most significant thing that will happen to us. The tragedies that come when we are unaware of God and need him to show us just how great and merciful he is. We serve an on-time God. Jesus did not teach his disciples this message because he wanted them to feel good about things in their lives. Instead, Jesus was warning them of things that can happen if we are to live contrary to his teaching. The greatest of tragedies are those we allow to separate us from God. This makes some of the things that we are not aware of or that we have yet to determine in our lives the true tragedy because of unforgiveness or the lack of mercy we have for people. It is this truth that we are to become something more in the image of Christ. Joseph would have been an average man if he had not been the father of Jesus. And Joseph was an average man in a unique position. But Joseph was also a remarkable man because of his desire to do what was right, even in the midst of a more straightforward path. We are presented daily with more accessible paths forward and forced to make decisions that would impact the rest of our lives, either knowingly or unknowingly. And the kingdom of God is truly at hand. We must decide whether we will be like Herod or we will be like Joseph. We must decide, will we listen to the voice of the master or blatantly ignore the voice of God for our lives? Many of us here have a pastor or pastors who are willing to voice their concerns when we begin to fall into temptations or when we are in the grip of the enemy or when we have met true tragedies. The unwillingness to move forward has curved the growth God has planned for you. There is only one proper way out of the dilemma that we face. It is to turn to Jesus and seek true repentance and ask for strength amid the trials. And for some of us, it will be to ask God to purify our hearts, to take away the pride that has built up calluses in our hearts. If you'll stand with me this evening. Will you take the hand that God is extending to you or will you deny His mercy and His grace? The Savior of the world has asked you tonight in this place if you're willing to listen to His voice once more. Despite the things you are dealing with, despite the embarrassment of admitting that something has genuinely stunted your growth. The people that once spoke into your life that today you might view as hypocritical are not the one who is calling to you. It is God who is calling now in mercy and grace. It is God and God Almighty who says that through this, He is going to be with you. But you must, have, you must take the first step out of a pew, out of an aisle, or out of a chair and begin to pray unto Him and watch what only He can do in your life. Don't expect instant, but instead expect faithful deliverance from the issues that you are dealing with. 
Pain can be delivered in a moment, but true healing is the faithful mercy of God. These altars are open. Come find a place to pray this evening. God is calling out to some of us tonight. There are things that we've been holding on to for some time. And he wants to take those things and he wants to deliver you from those things this evening. He's calling to you.